How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 53 of X-Lapsed, and uh, I'm recording this in the dark. It's uh, it's Halloween night, and I don't want any of my neighbors to know that we're home. <laughs> because, uh, hey, there's a, I hear there's a virus out there, and I, I don't really want uh, a bunch of people around. So, uh, yeah, I'm hoping that uh, this, this recording session is not interrupted by a whole lot of doorbell rings, but, uh, yeah, hopefully the light's out outside a little... Uh, will, you know, protect me. Uh, but uh, enough about that. Today, we've got a book to talk about. It is Excalibur, Volume 4, Number 7. This had an April 2020 cover date. The story's called Verse 7, The Unspeakable and the Uneatable. Written by Teeny Howard, with pencils by Wilton Santos. Inks by Oren Jr. Colors Eric Arshanaga. Letters VCs Corey Petit. Designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Bisa White Sobolski, cover price, $3.99, and this one went on sale February 13th of 2020. And we open up straight away with a roll call, and uh, we got ourselves a, a pretty decent-sized cast today. It's uh, Gambit, Rogue, Richter, Jubilee, Shogo, Betsy Britton, Pete Wisdom, A, Jamie Braddock, and Exodus. And of course, this is followed by our customary double-page spread of creds. Finally open the comics content here with Richter manipulating some earth to open like a chasm or a pit, right? Betsy then tosses her beautiful brother Brian's blade into the abyss. Remember from last issue, he asked her to do so because uh, he was he was being mucked with in the head by Morgan Le Fay. And uh, when he was offered the, the sword of the amulet, he chose the sword. He ain't a fan of that, so he wants her to uh, rid him of the sword. Now, Rogue is there, and she wonders if it's truly wise to toss and bury the sword, but, uh, doesn't really put up too much of a fight. From here, Betsy decides to visit... Uh, Otherworld. Alright, thankfully we're not gonna be here that long. And so Betsy steps through the now-functioning Krakoan Gateway to... Is it Avalon or Camelot? Whatever this place is called. It's Otherworld. Uh, she approaches her uh, brother, the weirdo king, Jamie Braddock, on his otherworldly throne. And they have a pretty contentious chat, which is uh, ain't anything new to us. Uh, Betsy winds up hurling a psychic blade at Jamie's head, which he narrowly dodges before accusing his sister of attempted regicide. Regicide's kind of a funny word. It's a word that's, uh, it means a lot more to me these days, and it has nothing to do with attempted murder of royalty. Uh, my old partner Reggie. Uh, Reggie is short for uh, regicide. His, uh, you know, his his nom de, not not a nom de plume. I guess it is a nom de plume because he did do writing under Reggie as well. But uh, 
he heard the the word regicide as a child and uh, thought it was very funny. So uh, he started signing his name as regicide, which was shortened to Reggie. So uh, anytime I see regicide or hear the word regicide, I, I can't help but to uh, to get a little bit of a smile inside. Um, now, after expressing that she is here to see, Jamie literally pulls the rug out from under her. He vanishes the floor beneath her, and she falls down to the lab below. Now, she arrives and finds A hanging out with fellow Quiet Council member Exodus. Now, they talk about how Otherworld is now sort of kind of a part of Krakoa, because, you know, mutants can go there. So, uh, And all mutants right now can freely come and go via the portal, because, you know, uh, Betsy's wondering how Exodus got here, and Apocalypse is like, or A is like, hey, the door's open, anybody can come in. Now, there's a bunch of glimmering sheets of uh, paper floating around the scene. It's almost like a mutant version of the Stephen J. Cannell Productions logo that used to sort of kind of creep me out as a kid. Now, these pages we come to find are A's grimoire, which he'd like to share with Betsy and the rest of mutant kind. He's uh, through keeping secrets, apparently, though uh, part of me doubts he's going to share what he has in mind for Morgan Le Fay, who he was... uh, he was kind of uh, dissecting her at the end of last issue. Now, A has a plan to create a multiversal beacon of sorts, a component that uh, I suppose might facilitate travel between dimensions. I don't know, but I suppose it stands to reason that uh, A would want to broaden the horizons of his kingdom and coven, or whatever it is. Here's the thing, though. He needs a special ingredient to make this component, and that ingredient is uh, some warwolf heads. Yeah, you remember the Warwolves from uh, the other Excalibur, the old Excalibur? Those shiny things. Uh, Now, Betsy is a bit incredulous, but she listens anyway. And we find out that there are actually five Warwolves in captivity at the London Zoo, which is a callback to a couple of old Excalibur stories, which, of course, I really appreciate. Now, outside the palace, Betsy meets up with Jubilee and Dragon Shogo, because Shogo is always a dragon in Otherworld. Uh, the latter of whom is busily eating dirt clods, and uh, gotta wonder what dirt clods might taste like in Otherworld. Probably boredom. Anywho, Jubilee would prefer that her son eat actual food, and she brandishes something that appears to be like a raw human leg. I think it's just a cut of meat, but it looks like a leg. Uh, Betsy tempts the beast to eat it by playing a bit of fetch, so she chucks it, the dragon goes, yada yada yada. Now, Jubilee complains that Shogo likes it so much better in Otherworld than he does in Krakoa. Uh, They wonder if that might be because he's, you know, human. Betsy suggests that they drop the tot with Megan so they can have a night out in London. Now, could you even imagine, like back in 1992 or whatever, that we'd see Psylocke and Jubilee hanging out? It almost doesn't compute to me. From here, we get an info page. And it's a page straight out of the grimoire. And it discusses the Warwolves. Which, you know, we're going to see the Warwolves in a bit. This is not the worst idea. Especially considering that this might be the first time some newer readers, if those do exist, are even hearing about these creatures, right? So I'm cool with this one. And that's news that I'm, I'm sure Teeny Howard is uh, wildly relieved to hear, right? Some goofball with a podcast thinks an idea was okay. So we resume, and we're at the London Zoo. Betsy and Jubilee are joined by Pete Wisdom, who is apparently anywhere you need him to be, so long as you're in the UK, Great Britain, and or England. Uh, Here's the thing, though. The Warwolves are gone. 
The zookeeper's there, and she ain't too keen on discussing the hows and whys of this, so uh, Jubilee decides to hack into the zoo's records with her iPhone. Because I suppose Jubilee is a hacker now? Uh, I mean, she does kind of have that look, doesn't she? You know, you remember all those mid-90s movies about hackers? Well, maybe it was just the one, but I feel like the girls in those movies all had the Jubilee-ish look to them. Anyway, Jubilee is able to get through and discerns that the werewolves didn't actually escape. Instead, they were bought and paid for. Pete suggests that now that they know what they know, they may as well stop for some drinks. And Jubilee is overjoyed at the idea of stopping for a sip. And I'm not sure what the legal drinking age is across the pond. And while I'm at it, do do Brits like it when ignorant Americans use phrases like across the pond? I mean, it, it kind of annoys me to say it, so I wonder how it lands over there. Anyway, I'm not sure what the legal age is. A quick and dirty Google search says 18 is legal, and 16 is legal if you're accompanied by an adult. Maybe? I don't know. So when I first read this here, before I had the uh, had my, you know, search device with me here, I, I just, I was thinking like, oh man, did they really age Jubilee to being over 21? Which, you know, they still might have, but... uh. Uh, I, I, this is just a, you know, me getting caught in the scenery again. I, Jubilee will always be, you know, very young <laughs> in my eyes here. But uh, what are you going to do? So, our trio heads to a nearby karaoke bar to throw back a pint or two. And it just so happens that we, li- we learn here that there is a method to uh, Pete Wisdom's suggestion. You see, on stage is the person that they're after. It's uh, one Cullen Bloodstone, who, if I'm not mistaken, I only know from uh, one of the most surprising Marvel Now-era books, uh, Avengers Arena. A book that uh, really had no reason to be as good as it was, but it was it was actually very, very good. Um, for those unaware, Avengers Arena was sort of, kind of, a riff on Battle Royale. Uh, I, though I suppose there's probably not much sort of, kind of, about it. <laughs> it was basically Battle Royale. Down to the logo. Um, the story was that there were like 15 or 20 team heroes. They were all kidnapped by Arcade and uh, brought to Murder World where they had to fight to the death. So it was going to be, you know, 15 or 20 in. The last person standing was the one that was going to live. I don't think any of these characters actually stayed dead because, I mean, it is what it is, but what are you going to do? So anyway, Cullen is here and he sits down with our heroes for a chat. He's surprised to have it confirmed that Betsy is now Captain Britain, and he also reveals that he bought the Warwolves for an upcoming exotic hunt. Pete reveals that, uh, hey, we just need the heads, and we're willing to pay for them. Cullen says, no, 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 that'd be unsportsmanlike. You can't claim a quarry that you didn't hunt yourself. That said, however, he'd be totally fine with them joining the hunt, so that's probably what they're going to do. From here, we get a full-page flyer for this upcoming Warwolf hunt, which, you know, we talked about the menu for uh, the the Krakoa Summit at the, uh, wasn't the UN, but the, uh, wherever that was in that issue of X-Men. And uh, I believe Jason wrote in and said that that'd be a fun piece of ephemera to own here. And I agree. And I think this, uh, this Warwolf hunt poster might be another fun piece of ephemera to own uh, we learn here that there are rules to this. Uh, no Krakoan hoodoo is allowed, and that the attire is, quote, cape casual. So, get a little bit of cuteness there, but what are you going to do? And so, 
We resume our story at the Bloodstone Summer Lodge in County Durham, England. The hunt is about to begin, and Betsy's brought Excalibur to take part in the game. We see Cullen's horse, and it's, uh, well, it's pretty hellish. It's got flaming eyes, and it's snorting and grunting smoke. Um, it's also got like a, well, not it, but Cullen. He's also got like a bunch of demonic cats lingering about. I don't know what good they are, but I suppose, I suppose any old point in a storm, right? Might as well, if you can have demonic cats, you might as well have them. Anyway, the pistol sounds, and the hunt begins. We follow our team, and uh, Gambit, he wonders aloud why the Quiet Council is after, you know, warwolf heads. What, what do they have to do with anything? To which Richter corrects him, stating that only one member of the Quiet Council actually wants them. This gets under uh, Gambit's skin pretty bad here. He, uh, he feels like he's been conned into unknowingly helping out Apocalypse again. Uh, Betsy asks him to think about it as him doing her a favor instead. To which he replies that, hey... It wasn't all that long ago that Betsy said she'd never ask for him for another favor again. And, uh, you know, he's not wrong. Uh, he did uh, he did make concessions for Betsy where she said if he were to agree with her, she'd never ask him for another favor again. Uh, that said, however, if that is the case, maybe this team... Maybe this team ain't the right fit for old Remy, right? <laughs> if he's never going to uh, do what the leader asks him to do, maybe he should... Uh, I don't know, maybe there's an opening on on the Fallen Angels team he can join. Now, Gambit notices a pretty young thing sitting by a creek or something, and uh, he runs over to check her out and see if she's okay. So he heads over and he finds out that this woman is actually a warwolf in human's clothing. Or, you know, skin. Betsy swoops in and decapitates the silvery beast. She then, for some reason, drops the head into the creek. So, uh... I don't know why she did that. It, it is worth noting here that in the very next panel, she's got it attached to her belt. So maybe she just wanted to give it a good scrubbing first. I suppose I, I can't fault her for that. I don't know that I'd want a beast skull, a dirty beast skull, in my pocket. So the team continues to walk. Richter asks if anyone has read A's Grimoire yet. Betsy claims that she brought it, but no, she hasn't yet read it. Richter assumes that she's mainly interested in checking it out to make sure they're not unwittingly helping a, a, bleh, not Apocalypse, actually, A, do evil things. Richter, we might recall, somehow regained control of his powers after a chat with A, so uh, I guess he's kind of willing to give the big guy the benefit of the doubt. Now Rogue flies over to let the team know she spotted some wolves running into a nearby cave. Richter does his thing, makes the earth shake to spook the beasties out. We do see our hunt host, Cullen, as he looks up to the sky to see Rogue flying toward the cave, which is apparently a big no-no, because using mutant powers is considered unsportsmanlike. I mean, dude might be a douche, but he's not wrong. Rogue is taken by surprise by a werewolf as Cullen watches on. He does not interfere. He tells her that it's uh, time for the mutants to experience a big loss. He feels like uh, maybe all the wins they've been racking up of late has made them forget just how human they can actually be. Rogue, you know, she's fine. She wrestles the warwolf for a bit, then removes her glove, and then drains the life out of the monster. Cullen's all bah humbug, and he trots away on his hell-beast horse, claiming that maybe he needs to be hunting a different kind of quarry. Now Rogue returns to her team, and she's uh, now wearing a uh, cape made out of warwolf. <laughs> I don't know if it's like a pelt, a skin. It's shiny, and she's wearing it around her neck. 
Uh, she also has its skull, so now we've got two. They've got no time to celebrate, however, as the team is suddenly overcome by... Tentacles. And we can see that those tentacles are coming from Cullen Bloodstone's hellish horse. You see, the man of the house has decided it's time to start hunting mutants, which I suppose from the cover of the very next issue should have been obvious from me to me from the get-go. But uh, I guess I just wasn't thinking about it that way. I didn't. I'm so used to covers not meaning anything that uh, I must have just thought it was a uh, a random pinup. But uh, no, <laughs> it's actually a hunt. But uh, that is everything for Excalibur number seven. Next episode, we'll be, be we'll be looking at X Force number seven. But how about we talk about what we just read? This was a uh, this was a weird issue, um, one that I might assume a lot of the uh, Dawn of X readership might dismiss as being filler. They uh, they wouldn't be entirely wrong with that in that uh, point of view, but to me, that's kind of why I enjoyed it as much as I did. Now, despite the fact that I've been Maybe a little bit hard on the Dawn of X line for under-delivering or just not delivering at all on the promises made during Hawksbox. I feel like we kind of need stories like this to actually get the opportunity to see our heroes in action in a more everyday sort of way. Does that make any sense? I feel like so many of these issues and stories that we've read have had that, like, half-pregnant feel to them. Like, they want to push the Dawn of X story forward, but they're not allowed to because we're not ready for the progression just yet. I mean, does that make sense? I'm not sure I'm explaining it as well as I I might be. Uh, This issue, it kind of sidesteps that problem in that it's, it's really just its own thing. I mean, sure, there are Dawn of X trappings, you know, portals, a yada, 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 all that kind of stuff. But it's so on the fringes that I feel like it can kind of stand on its own. Uh, it was also surprisingly light on other world pages, which might be filling me with like a relief-fueled euphoria that's subconsciously ticking my enjoyment meter up a bit. That is totally possible. That said, was this a great issue? Not really. Though I probably enjoyed it more than any I've read so far from this volume. Um, it was, you know, sort of silly in that 90s Excalibur sort of way. Which, to me, is a very good thing. Um, the art here was probably not quite up to what we've come to expect from Marcus Toe, but fine enough. Uh, it did take me a page or two to get used to it, but once I did, I liked it just fine. Um, though, of course, having a fill-in artist doesn't doesn't really uh, subvert the filler feel this issue might have given some folks, but, you know, what are you going to do? It might very well have been just something to get us to another, to you know, from point A to point B. I'm guessing Marcus Toe is probably otherwise engaged with uh, more uh, pivotal chapters of, uh, of this title. But, I mean, it was a silly issue. Um, it had a good uh, pacing. It had some good beats. Cullen Bloodstone is a villain. I mean, you, you could do better. You could do worse. It's, I'm just happy it wasn't full of magic and, uh, and other world and swords. It just felt like a, uh, a random issue. And I think in the day and age we're in right now, just everyday normal issues don't get a whole lot of play. They don't get... I don't know, they just don't... We don't I don't feel like we get them quite as often as we used to, which is a good thing in a way, but it's also... 
don't know, makes it feel like these books are a little too far up their own asses sometimes, where everything has to be some huge epic thing. Because if everything's epic, then, I mean, nothing's really epic, right? If, I mean, things get gimmicky, things get overblown, and, uh, I don't know, this felt like, it felt like we had a little bit of breathing room here, you know? We're, we're out of Otherworld for now, um... We're not dealing with a whole lot of Krakoan trappings. Um, it's just an adventure. Or not even an adventure, it's just a story. We get to see the characters, you know, relate to each other. We get to see the characters chat. Um, we get a little bit of angst, which, I mean, that is X-Men. <laughs> That's what we what we get from X-Men books. And uh, we get a little bit of a threat, you know. We get, we get MacGuffins in these uh, Warwolf skulls, so we have a reason to be where we are, and... Yeah, not a bad issue. Not a bad issue at all. Um, I, I do hope we get more issues kind of like this in the future. Um, you know, that is to say, not in Otherworld. Um, at least until we were thrust into X of Tens, which I'm guessing will probably have some otherworldly stuff involved in it. But overall, decent issue. Some might think it was filler. I don't disagree with that. But even with that said, I enjoyed it. So uh, here's to you. This was a good one. Um, And I think that's uh, all I got to say about Excalibur number seven. But before I cut us all loose here, let's uh, dip into the mailbag here. The return of the mailbag and also the return of Damien, who uh, wrote in a a wonderful piece here uh, discussing episode 50 and uh, X-Men and Fantastic Four number four in particular. He says... I've so much I, I have so much to cover this episode. I hope you aren't too bored. No, no, I won't be too bored. Uh, first thing I want to say is I wish I'd seen your tweet about testimonials. X-Lapsed is a real source of joy for me, and your openness to feedback and my bad jokes is part of the experience with me. I think I've said before that the best comics commentary is always autobiography. If you don't learn something about the reviewer, how can you judge how you'll respond to the comics? And uh, thank you so much for the kind words. Um, knowing this show, or... Really, anything I do provides even a little measure of happiness means means a whole lot to me. And uh, I do consider you part of this show. I mean, you know, the, anybody who engages and writes in, th- th- this is as much your show as it is mine. This is... I, I was on one of the... I think it was Twitter this morning, and our friend Andrew in Belfast said that this is... Like a like a reading club. This is like a book club, and it's uh and it's a lot of fun to to hear everybody's progression through these books, and for us to exchange our our ideas and thoughts about them. It's it's really it, it makes this so much more worth it than it would otherwise. You know, it's it does mean a lot to me. Um, and I think that like the more personal internet content, you know, things like blogs, podcasts, videos. Anything but the dancing videos, really, because can we just stop with those? Those are we don't need those anymore. I think that those go a long way to make us all feel a little less alone. Um, I mean, this year is kind of the perfect example of how alone many of us might be feeling or might just actually be. Um, creating content, and I've said it before, and I'll, I'm sure I'll say it many, many more times. It's it's kind of lonely to to put together content. Um, you know, if I break it down to you know exactly what it is uh, it's really it's me sitting at my kitchen island taking notes for a few hours and then later on that same day me sitting in my room talking into a microphone for you know an hour or two and uh you know sometimes you 
you know, in the midst of this, you wonder why you even do it. You know, is there a goal? Is there a reason? Is there an end game? Is there something that you're working toward? And then you wonder if maybe you do it simply because it's harder not to. What I'm trying to say here is it's a very solitary thing. So to know that there are folks out there listening is is amazing to me. And uh, that people are a part of this with me. It, it means a lot. It really does. Um, it's one of those things that it's, you know, it's legitimately hard for me to put into words. Um, and I know that might sound cliche and, and cheesy, but... That's that's really how I feel, and uh, you know don't feel bad about missing the tweet. Uh, somehow I've got like twenty five hundred followers on Twitter, and yet very very few people actually seem to care or see <laughs> what I post. It makes me wonder if I'm doing something wrong, or if maybe like ninety five percent of the people who follow me have me muted. I mean, if that's the case, why bother following me at all, right? Uh, that's baffled me for a little while now. I don't I don't understand. If we're just following each other to be uh, polite, uh, that, that's something I kind of get wrapped around the axle about until eventually my rational mind kicks in and reminds me that uh, a lot of consumers of content, myself included, do so very passively. You know, um, I, I consume content, but I very, very seldom write in or even, you know, participate. I'm very passive about it, and I have to assume that uh, that a lot of folks are, you know, and that, that there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. It's just one of those things that, when I'm in the wrong headspace, can can kind of can kind of run me into the ground a little bit. Uh, now, Damien continues. I was very sad that the milestone episode 50 was the first in ages when I hadn't left you any feedback. This week, I returned to work after seven months off, and I ended up working mainly 12-plus-hour shifts, so I've had less time and energy to listen and respond to podcasts. But I will listen to everything eventually. Hell, every time you mention Moratory Mondays, I think that I must dig out my issues to reread and start listening to that show. There really aren't enough hours in the day. And yeah, you no worries. I mean, life life happens, right? Uh, I know everybody gets busy. Uh, you know, people get busy, especially... I mean... These times are weird. I, I, I hate falling back on blaming the times, but they are weird, and everything's kind of up in the air. It's very um, very polemic, if that's the right word to use here. It's like we get all this downtime, and we're told just, you know, stay. Sit and stay. And then, like, the worm turns immediately, and it's like, okay, pedal to the metal. Get back to it. Get back to it. Just just yesterday, you were told to stay home, but now, boom, we're, we're rushing right in. Um, it also doesn't help matters that I'm putting out so much content. <laughs> I, I almost feel greedy doing it. I feel like I'm forcing myself onto people's devices, you know? <laughs> I think that's probably just the guilty Catholic in me. But, uh, you know, I talk about, like, uh, like when Marvel will introduce 15 new titles that they launch in a month, and I, I think, like, man, they're just trying to push DC off the shelves, you know? They're just trying to monopolize the racks, and here I am putting out a new show every day for a few months, and it's like, am I doing that too? I hope not. But uh, I, I, you can't take the guilt out of the Catholic. Uh, Damien continues, You really need to set up the Patreon because I don't think I'm going to have time to get around to listening to some of your stuff until I'm 80 and living in an old people's home. That means you'll have to keep paying the hosting fees until about 2054. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm thinking I'll get moving on that pretty soon. I still feel kind of weird about it. 
I, you know, I guess I probably shouldn't say this, but I don't think anything I do is anything worth paying for. Um, but any funds that I could put forward hosting and domains would be helpful. Uh, I'd love for this endeavor to be like a break-even sort of thing. But I, I'm cool even if it never gets to that point. I know the wife would appreciate it because she thinks... Uh, she's very supportive of this, but uh, I think she questions why I put so much effort into something that isn't that isn't bringing any money in. You know, I think that's one of those questions that uh, we don't really talk about, but it's always kind of lingering. It's always in the air. <laughs> and, uh, and if I'm able to... Uh, if I'm able to make anything out of this, that you know, that's more than enough. Uh, Damien continues. It was very, it was very moving to hear you talk about Reggie and how losing him affected your ability to podcast. I first discovered your feed through a Podbean recommendation and first listened to Comics Talk. This means it was too late to ever send a comment to let him know how much I enjoyed the show, but I can tell you, thank you. And that's awesome that that show was recommended. Um, and it's also awesome that your introduction to this channel was with Comics Talk. Those episodes hold a very special place in my heart. Um, I have so much regret that we weren't able to make more of those. Because uh, I feel like those were some of like the very purest episodes that we put on this channel. Um, they were literally just conversations Reggie and I had, to, we've had for years. Uh, the only difference is we had some bullet point notes so we could make sure we cited dates and issue numbers accurately, right? Um, they, uh, they were literally conversations we had all the time. And uh, those episodes, um, when I revisited them this spring and summer to upload to the main feed, it was, uh, it was difficult, but, um... It was also healing, you know, um, very, very helpful in the healing process because as I was doing it, I realized how lucky I was, you know, blessed really, uh, to have these discussions that I had with my friend, right? Fully intact. And I could revisit them anytime I wanted, you know, um, these, these, like I said, these were, these were conversations. These were chats that we had till we were blue in the face. You know, we talked every week about these subjects and um they were our uh sort of like recording warm-up rituals you know but we wouldn't you know we wouldn't get on skype and then immediately bada bing bada boom record go we would talk we would warm up we would get you know anything that was on our mind you know out and uh you know we'd touch base we'd talk about the families we'd get we would just get stuff out you know um and, you know, then we would go into the shows. Uh, so it's like I, I'm I'm going through these episodes to re-upload them, or to actually just really upload them to the main feed, and I'm left thinking, like, how many people can say that they've got whole conversations with a friend they'd lost, right? I mean, I still have a few voicemails from them saved on my phone, which are special, of course, but how cool is it that I have these extended discussions as well? I'm very lucky in that regard, and I'm really happy that you discovered our little corner of the internet with some of our realist work. Um, I loved everything we did together. Uh, the treadmill, uh, weird comics history, the gatherums, all sorts of stuff that we did together. I loved it. But with Comics Talk, those were never meant for a wider audience. Those were meant for the handful of patrons we had. And uh, and we, we, we felt a little... 
it was it was more conversational. It was more loose. Um, the notes were very very basic, and uh, the bullet points were were uh, not not wildly detailed. You know, uh, when we did a treadmill, those were pretty much fully scripted out. Uh, there was some ad libbing, of course, because that's just going to happen. But uh, for the most part, a cosmic treadmill episode would be forty or fifty pages of of script. That we would work through and we would go back and forth But Comics Talk was different And Comics Talk was uh, was special Now Damien continues Let's get into Fantastic Four X-Men Number 4 I also felt like the last issue fell apart a little The problem with three issues of Escalation Is that there's too much to resolve in one issue It was confusing where everyone was I'm sure they established that the town Was a few miles from the lab But the fight caused by Wolverine stabbing the sentinel Mutant guy was outside the lab window Ultimately, the ending is, it ends because it ends. I suppose that's the advantage of having a reality warper as your focal character. And I do believe that Doom Tower was, like, in that populated belt on the Doom Island map that we saw on that info page in probably issue two, maybe three. Uh, So it stands to reason that they were close. And uh, yeah, you're 100% right here. The build here was so hot and heavy during the first three issues to... Organically resolve itself in a single concluding chapter Was going to be a challenge Um, And yeah, you know, Franklin who dude it (laughs) You know, all good again in a single page Uh, It was just Yeah, a little bit of a letdown Damien continues It made sense for the two teams to become friends again By seeing some degree of what they've done in Doom's uh, What had done in Doom's behavior Sue's overprotectedness was partially understandable I also wonder if the average person in the Marvel Universe is aware that you, if you go to Krakoa, you're free to come and go via the portals. Franklin spending time on Krakoa, but effectively still living with his family, seems an obvious solution. But maybe it seems unlikely to the general public. And that is a really good question. We don't know. We don't really know what folks know about the gateways. Like, do they realize the ins and outs of it? We can go back to the rally that we saw... In uh, Marauders number one, where uh, what's her face, Fang, what, what was it? I don't remember her name. Uh, she's part of uh, Ominous Verandy now. Uh, she said her husband vanished after touching the gateway, and of course that was a big fat lie. But the people who had gathered didn't seem to understand that you can easily come and go if you're a mutant. So yeah, it definitely stands to reason that the general public might not know. So that's a in- very interesting point. Uh, Damien continues It also allows Marvel to have their cake and eat it He's on Krakoa, but he's still in the Fantastic Four It's a shame that this series wasn't ready earlier As Franklin would be a logical character to be shown reacting to Kitty's death But Marauders number 8, where they find out she's died Was before 4X number 4 So they couldn't pre-reveal Franklin on Krakoa Now that makes me wonder Will Franklin on Krakoa be a thing? Is that... I, I, I didn't think he would. I figured that uh, that this was just going to be a thing that happened. <laughs> but uh, if uh, Franklin will be on Krakoa, that's great news. Um, maybe Brevoort and White have an arrangement? I don't know. I just saw Franklin as too top-tier a character in the Fantastic Four book that they wouldn't want him out outside the office. But hopefully, hopefully we will, we will see uh, some Franklin on Krakoa. Uh, Damien continues with uh, The epilogue with Xavier rewriting Reed's mind was a great moment 
partly because it subverted the idea that the X-Men are the villains. Reed is the villain. I felt like they might even be trying to imply that his device was burning out Franklin's powers. He did get better when he was on Krakoa. I imagine they left it deliberately vague so we can all create our own headcanon. And I think uh, that was ultimately the conclusion I came to, though it was probably an episode or two later when I, when I said it. Uh, now, the Codex as being the, you know, the thing to mess with Franklin's abilities would be a very interesting resolution. And another reason why I'd like to see more of him on Krakoa. I mean, we know that on Krakoa his powers were, were waning less, but the Codex hadn't yet been nullified. I'd be interested to see how his powers react now that Magneto crushed the thing and Xavier made it so he could, you know, it could never be rebuilt. So, like, will Franklin be A-OK now? Or, I mean, maybe that's common knowledge to everyone but me at this point, but uh, also maybe I'm just thinking way too hard about something that uh, will never be mentioned again. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. But uh, but uh, that's, that's Damien's letter. Thank you so much for writing in. I'm glad everything's okay. I'm glad... Uh, when I didn't get a message from you in a few days, I was hoping that everything was good. But uh, knowing that you were just busy, hey, you know, that, that happens. That happens. But uh, thank you so much for writing in. It really, really means a lot. And uh, we're going to wrap up with just a message I received from our friend Evan Bevins uh, regarding a uh, service called Hoopla. Now, uh, Hoopla, we'll, we'll talk about this in a bit, and this is not a paid plug. Uh, he says, Fallen Angels finally came up on Hoopla. But from your description, I don't know how exciting that is. So the only one I'm missing now is X-Force, and he says he only read the first issue of that one so far. And again, this is not a paid-for plug, though as always, I am for sale. But if you were to go to HooplaDigital.com, which is a digital library resource in North America, and sign up for an account, and if I'm getting this right, I did go through the the FAQs and uh, and the About page here, So long as your local library is partnered with the Hoopla service, you can read some of the stuff we're talking about on this show and a whole lot more for free. Um, As Evan said, Fallen Angels Volume 1 is there for free. And that's that's about as much as I'd pay for it, or I would recommend you pay for it. So the first six, or all six issues, hopefully, fingers crossed, in trade format digitally, it's there. And if your library, your local library, is partnered with Hoopla Digital, you don't even need to leave your house. You could check it out, and uh, and you could follow along. And I did a search for just X-Men, and there are a ton of X-Men books from now and yesterday. Like a ridiculous amount. You could not possibly read all of it. There is so much there. So... If you're listening and are interested in checking the service out, I highly recommend you do. I'm going to sign up for an account a little bit later on, even though I can't I can't read digital. But I, I do want to be able to be more helpful in helping people find these books. So, you know, I know a lot of people are using Marvel Unlimited, which, you know, you are reading these things for free. But if you don't feel like coughing up the money, or if maybe you only do Marvel Unlimited a couple months out of the year and you just want to catch up with this stuff as it is, if your library's hooked up to Hoopla, you can do it. So, uh, can't, I, I don't see, it, it almost seems too good to be true. But, uh, <laughs> I suppose after I sign up, I'll find out. Maybe every third page is like an ad for an MMORPG or something. So you have to, you have to get past those to get to the rest of the story. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's not it. I probably shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't disparage the service before using it. But, uh, it's there. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to uh, report in some more information. If anyone out there who's following along, if you're doing so by Hoopla, let me know. And uh, let me know uh, 
just how user-friendly it is. Uh, it's, it sounds very similar to a library. You borrow a digital book, and uh, in times like this, that's a good thing to have. So thank you, Evan, for bringing that to my attention. And I am very, very much looking forward to your thoughts on Fallen Angels. <laughs> I really want to know. Uh, and also uh, X-Force number one, which... I feel like the series kind of peaked there because it had that uh, that killer um, cliffhanger. But uh, definitely check in, let us know. But I think that's where we'll leave it today. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you could do so quite easily on Twitter at Ace Comics and WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can go to the show's site at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com and xlapsed.chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. Um, 90s X-Men on Facebook is the group where we... Really don't talk a whole lot about 90s X-Men, but uh, it's there, and it's it's eccentric. And I didn't mean for that to sound like eccentric, but it is uh, centered on the X-Men. Uh, there's also the audio archives where you can check out those Comics Talk episodes if you so de- desire, and that is chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Maybe I'll link to, to one or two of those in the show notes today to make it a little bit easier. But uh, I think that's where we'll leave it. I want to thank everyone so, so much for listening and hanging out and sharing your time and your thoughts. And uh, until next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. Searching